0: What's up folks, Uh, if you guys have been noticing, interest rates are high and a lot of operators these days aren't doing deals. If you're hanging out with a lot of other passive investors, deal flow is very slow these days and we haven't not been doing anything. We've been busy managing the current assets in the portfolio, but we've been looking elsewhere to pivot on the current economy and market environment. And as you guys have seen, we've opened up the pet fund, which is preferred equity, which is more on the debt side of the equation because of the capital markets, people getting loans, there's a greater demand for that. So we're filling that role providing short-term and long-term capital for people out there. For more information about that, reach out to the team. I think we've already paid a little bit more than maybe $200,000 out to investors. We pay every month on that. That is accredited only for those folks who are interested. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went try to rent them out, and then he became one real investor man. We've also been looking elsewhere for what other people have been doing. Other private equity firms. Also, I have Kyle, one partner on the line, who, but one, yeah, Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit? About some of the growing pains, maybe with multifamily that you've uncovered over the past several years, going through this journey, and then yeah, where we're going from there.
1: Sure, I think the best time that to buy real estate was a few years ago, at least in in terms of where we're at today, for sure. Our properties that we bought earlier in the process are performing much better than the ones that that we've bought most recently, and I think a lot of that is just because of the debt, the strategy that we had going into. Those earlier deals was more long-term hold thinking. And then we saw a wave of bridge loans coming where the interest rate environment and the bridge loans dropped significantly. to where it was almost better to get a bridge loan than an agency loan, because a lot of these bridge loans were fixed to a certain point. What we're seeing is that caveat that I just mentioned to a certain point, which means as long as you're meeting some of these loan covenants that they spell out into their loan terms. And I think that's what a lot of people, we're seeing it all over the place. It's not just us, it's other really big names, big shops that are experiencing same effect with the interest rate climate that we're in where it's getting harder to meet some of these loan covenants, meaning you have to have a debt, a certain debt service coverage ratio at a certain point, which has always been a part of the process. When these bridge loans, if if you aren't at a certain threshold, when it comes time to extend your loan, you're not gonna get an extension. And then you have to go through and get an exception process. And if you have to go through an exception process with these lenders, that opens up the opportunity for them to retrade or make you bring more to the table and things like that, which is not a huge issue, but what it could do is it could require more capital from the investor group. And there are certainly more capital <coughs> capital calls that we're also seeing across all syndicators. And but I think the ones who have bought deals, especially in the last two years, and they haven't done one in their portfolio, they're a they they really don't have a significant market share of the market, or it's just a matter of time. And so really trying to get on the front end is the key. And that's what we're doing with our current deals is getting on the front end of some of these things that we're learning in this really dynamic environment. All that to say, it's still a great time to continue to invest in the right deals. And for us, that that looks more like the development, which you had mentioned. And just because of the where cost of construction is and compared to buying an A-class type property on the market and in most markets. Still makes sense because the market value is still significantly higher than the cost of construction. And so it, that's really driven by the market, but the specific local market that is that we're investing in. But as a whole, still a great time to invest. But I would say, like on the value add side, anybody that's bringing the deal forward, we've really got to take a closer look at it, question the cash flow position question the motives behind the deal. If it's a big shop and they've got a large payroll, are they just doing it so they can get an acquisition fee out of it? Or is it truly a deal that that they believe they, that there's more pent up value? And that's the other thing that we're seeing that has caused us to pivot. I'll finish with this comment uh, with the value add deals. Now you're seeing because multifamily really gained a lot of attraction from institutional types and really some, some sophisticated operators. And then also just the, the average operators, which I would, you and I are more on the average side than we are on the institutional side or the smaller fish. But it's been so saturated that a lot of these value-add deals that were built in the 70s and 80s, they've now gone through a couple of renovation plans. And that's why right now, looking at a value-add deal, you've really got to be cognizant of, okay, what did the previous owner do and why are they not able to achieve certain rents? Are they truly just I've heard the sales pitch. there's a lot of meat left on the bone. You've really got to test that. How do you get to that point? Are you you know do the properties next door truly? are they truly exceeding that much more rent than what's untapped? And so for us, that's what's given us a lot of pause and reservation is because now we're seeing as a lot of the deals that are coming available up for sale, they've been through a value-add program two and three times now in the last couple of years. And some of them are still achieving good rents. And that's just all driven by the local sub-market at that point. And some of them haven't, some of them haven't. And and we've certainly seen that too with our own properties where we get in there, we buy it. And maybe we see that, oh, the rents are actually gonna be stabilized here versus here, but maybe we can make that up on, on the expense side. Or something like that. But those are just some real life thoughts that have pushed us and drawn us more as we have continued to develop out our operation on the development side for ground up construction. That's a big part of what and why we started getting to this business. Because that's hard to imagine, but we were talking about getting into development before COVID even happened and which launched us into, we got a project, we got a land deal under contract prior to COVID. And ended up starting a project in the middle of COVID and now we've seen that come full cycle almost.
0: If you've been listening to the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast since 2016, you have seen me well, change my mind a few times. At one time, I thought buying a bunch of rentals was the way to financial freedom, so you could be that cool guy at the local real estate club with all the other misguided landlords. As I became an accredited investor, I discovered the three-step system that we use today. First. Syndication deals where you don't invest with dishonest operators to get better returns than the 401k financial planner garbage. Second step, get passive losses to unlock the tax best practices that the wealthy employ. And last and least impactful, number three, infinite banking. If your net worth is not yet $1 million, check out my free turnkey rental remote e-course at simplepassivecashflow.com turnkey. Alright, speaking to accredited investor to accredited investor, my 123 system is very simple to implement, but it requires plugging into a community of purely passive accredited investors like ours. Join our investor club for more insider access, go to simplepassivecashflow.com club. Those who are looking to deploy more than $250,000 their first year or make over $300,000 in annual income or net worth over a couple million dollars should really look into our exclusive inner circle called the Family Office HANA Mastermind, FOOM for short. Learn more at simplepaththocashflow.com journey.
1: I feel when I see things like that, I reflect on that. It feels, feels good. Hey, we're thinking down the right path but so now it's just where we are in the market it feels like it's a really good time to just kind of focus solely on development at least for the time being in terms of multifamily until the interest rate climate calms down
0: yeah and to give people a little bit more insight we're always trying to see where the fuck is going and plan ahead It's just another reason why you're seeing like the preferred equity fund for that side of the debt side but I think it was what, three or four years ago, you and I sat down and we started to see a lot of people buying these class A multifamily, like these brand new buildings that were leased up, but supposedly people could bump the rents up another 200, 300 bucks. And then we started to scratch our head. These are, I think these are the type of class A buildings that you'll see a lot of the the national syndicators will do and then make, you know make a huge fee off of closing that, of course. Sure. As we started to you started to walk backwards in the transaction, okay, these retail unsophisticated buyers are starting to buy this because it looks good on a pitch deck to investors as opposed to a 1970s, 1980s value add project. Mm-hmm. And then we started to look at the mo- real money is with the developer, the builder who built that thing, yeah. who sold it to these suckers down That's the right. road. Yeah. Maybe take us back to that moment. And then, yeah, that was, that was quite the epiphany back then, right? Yeah.
1: So here's where it is so simple to me. Okay. Here's, and this is what I don't understand. Let me say it this way. So we do a very good job as a human society of taking a very simple topic and very much putting our own spin on it to the point where it's so complicated, which is now it becomes the whole notion of, if we've heard analysis by paralysis, right? So at the very basic level, if you think about this, you can go out and get a mortgage, like in terms of just deal analyzing, you can go get a mortgage calculator for free online, put in a loan amount and an interest rate amount, and you can get an idea on taxes and insurance, what those are going to be. And then you can just go look at the NOI and see, okay, this property has a million dollar NOI, but- Across the, for the whole year, the debt service is going to be $1.2 million. So, right away, out of the gate, you're losing 200 grand. This is a very simple way that people can look at it. And this is honestly, this is a big part of like how I just go through and type in a quick rather than going through and inputting all the financials, because that takes time to put all the financials into a model. I just go and I look at, okay, is there a room? Does the NOI exceed the mortgage payment? If it doesn't, Then, of course, when you start factoring in all the expenses and everything else, it's not going to work. Sorry, the expenses are already baked into the NOI because I'm looking at the NOI. Sorry, that would be in the case of looking at gross revenue. But if you just take the NOI that's being advertised, subtract out the annualized debt service, that'll give you a very quick ballpark idea on if the property currently cash flows or not. So looking at that, when you take, this is the analysis I did on some of the, because yeah, it sounds great to go own an asset that was built in the last two years, but buying at market rates didn't make sense. So I started seeking this out. I started saying, hey, I had the realization of that. I said, there's no, I don't know how these other guys are making sense of this deal. The rents are already at an average of $1,500 a unit. And they're saying they can take it up to closer to $2,000 a unit. That doesn't make sense to me in any market, unless you're living in California or New York. But in terms of workforce housing, that doesn't make sense in terms of the rent. Could they bump up a little bit? Maybe. So then I just started looking at, hey, what's the price of land? What does land cost? Because that, once I really started paying attention to that, that's when it was like, man, I really need to find somebody who's been doing this. And so from there, it was just networking with other people. You and I were having early conversations and then Sure enough, we came across a couple of folks who have been on the development side, on the project management side, and we knew multifamily, they knew development. So it was a match made in heaven from there. But that's what I go back to, it's very simple. Like any of your passives that are looking at any deals, if they think that the deal might be a little bit tight, that's the rule, like very basic. Anybody can go out, you don't have to be a genius to be able to analyze a deal. If you just go and look at the basic math, it's, hey, the NOI is below the annual debt service. Let's get to the real story there.
0: And then it all happens. Here, here you are. I don't know, is this the mayor? Who is this politician you're shaking hands at? This is at the grand opening of our 230 yeah. unit in Huntsville.
1: That's right. No, that was, uh, I think he he was just a city official. He was not the mayor. They, we were not, we're not that important, but uh, that's a picture. That's our whole, the rest of our team. That's our property management team. And then our contractor architect. And then I think those other people were just filler. I think they were hired, make it look like there were more people there. Like those people that are hired at the Grammys or whatever, they go sit in your seat to make sure the audience all looks full at all times. If a celebrity gets up and goes to the bathroom, yeah.
0: exactly. But the way I look at it, and if you can build these units for a hundred fifty thousand a unit, and you can sell it for two fifty, you just made a hundred thousand dollars a unit there. Where the price per unit on I don't know, like a Class B and in, in Texas, you know, used to be you could buy it for fifty. 80 grand a unit now it's way higher than that yeah those days are gone the, the lift per unit and you're talking fraction that of a development in more it's, time because a lot of these value-add plays can take five years where development
1: you're totally right so there's this perception that there's more risk in it which there is if you don't know what you're doing and if you're not in a market but It's the ultimate value add play when you really think about it. You're taking a raw piece of land and putting an income generating property on it. And for just simple math, it goes back to, okay, the cost per unit on build for, let's just take Chase Creek. That's the one you were showing pictures on. All-in cost was roughly, it was under 200,000 units, maybe 185, 190, somewhere in there. And that's all-in, that's hard cost, that's soft cost. So that's how much it costs to build per unit. And then right now the market, even even with the, a little bit of a pullback just maybe 10 to 15% that property is still worth 250 to 260 a unit on the low side conservatively obviously there's fees and stuff that are in taxes even that are would be factored into that but that's tremendous value it's tremendous value and in a very short amount of time that's just in 2 to 3 years time frame almost 3 years now because we started that project in March of 2020 when we actually started raising money so for the early investors they've had their money locked up for almost three years now with no cash flow but the value has certainly just expedited any business plan that you could do on the value add side It's just unless you were buying properties back in 2014, 2015 which a lot of people were the values just aren't they're not going to grow that quickly in in today's market
0: So I think we kicked off the construction in call it the beginning of 2021, I think it was December, 2020, but January, 2021.
1: We started moving dirt in November of 2020. So right, yeah, December, November, December, 2020 is when we're moving.
0: The pads that got put in took longer than I thought. If you look at from when the pads, the concrete foundations went in to July, 2022, when we eventually opened up for business and started filling up units, man, did that go a lot quicker than I thought.
1: Yeah. And to that point, Lane, this July, 2022, had we had transformers when we should have, which that was the only delay that we experienced really. If we had transformers, we were expecting to put our first transformers in January of 2022. And if that would have happened on time, we would have been able to start leasing by or moving people in by probably March or April.
0: It, and when we you look at on that price per basis unit, way I look at that, not only is that a lot of profit margin, but I see it a room for error. And we weren't without struggles and things to overcome, one of which is the old lumber costs, which kind of skyrocketed when we needed to buy the damn thing. Yeah, we didn't even um, mention that. I think that's the thing. If, if investors can get around the fact that there's no previous P&L and they're, you're not going to get any cash flow for a couple years, then... I think it's great to understand the fact that there's a lot of security in it that you can withstand just unprecedented material hikes such as this and still have a very good profit margin in yeah. there. Because all in this time, while this is all happening on the operation side in your old Class C and B multifamily, you're dealing with the eviction moratoriums, the pandemic. And We're these still little... dealing with some of that in certain counties yeah we really are right. Where the development side is a lot more cleaner, um, easier business. and maybe if you can speak a little bit to the like the competition because value add yep. multifamily is a very it is a rather unsophisticated crowd in that space.
1: Yeah, it really is on the multifamily. It's pretty saturated with folks that just woke up and wanted to be an investor one day, wanted to, they were just so sick of their corporate job and wanted to get out. And look, frankly, that's not much different than me and you, but I think our approach has been different because we've been looking at it through a different lens this whole time where we didn't number one, we didn't just hit the eject button on our corporate jobs. We did it. We were buying our time, making sure that we were building a deep foundation. And the only way to do that is, is by building the business the right way, which is essentially what we were doing. And so the level of sophistication that was there, you get all, it's a wild west. And some of these deals that I see that close, you might have 20 key principles on the, that's, it's not uncommon for that. There's just too many cooks in a lot of these deals to really best serve the investors and best serve the, even the tenants and the property manager, which in my view are all still customers of ours. And and then on the development side too, there's a level of sophistication there by choosing the right architect, the right contractor, and just finding somebody who knows the process, understands the sequencing of the project, which is our other partner who we brought in, in in our deals. It's... It's a lot different, like the value add deals, the 70s, 80s vintage, like I have property managers that we reach out to me on a daily basis, almost, hey, just updating you here, blah, 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 like just all these different one-off projects. Like we talk to our contractor every couple of weeks and it's a $55 million project because it's a slow project, but it's a sophisticated project. And there's so many checks and balances along the way. We've got a third-party inspector who's inspecting every aspect of the project as well. There's And then there's certain then the city inspectors as well. They're not going to continue to pass each inspection if the contractor is putting together faulty construction. Frankly, that's we have some neighbors that were building behind us at the Chase Creek property. They started their project six to nine months ahead of us, and they're still not even leasing units right now because they did not hire a good contractor. They, they brought construction in-house. And so when you hire a sophisticated manager, a contractor, and a sophisticated team, it really does go much smoother. Even in the midst of adversity, we had a fire after we put up framing. We had a fire that happened three months later in one of the buildings. Thankfully, nobody was hurt, but it was really a non-issue just kept going forward with the project because we could sequence in another building. So while we were working out the insurance claim with the insurance company, we were able to keep the project moving forward. While there you go. You got a picture. <laughs> while this was, this thing was burning to the ground we were able to, to just keep rolling, but you can't do that. And if it's not as sophisticated and there too, think about it, if we, if that happens, which it happens all the time, it's pretty common, but if that happened on a value add deal, not only do you have to worry about building it back as quickly as you can, but- You've also lost and have to worry about all these tenants that you have to displace. So the development process, it was like, hey, was there anybody there? No, it happened on the weekend. We just got to go in and replace some some wood frame.
0: Looks like a campfire. Very expensive campfire at the time.
1: It was, but insurance covered it.
0: But I think the thing that kind of separates us from other people is I get approached by a lot of these turnkey developers all the time to get access to our group. And I've passed some of them off to you, Kyle, but it's just a lot of bigger operators taking cuts of other people where we've taken the approach of doing it in-house with our own people. And passing those savings or gains, however you want to look at it, to the customers, which is us, investors. Yeah. When we say it's our development, it really is our development, not some kind of daisy chain turnkey development deal with somebody else. And absolutely, kind of just in the capital raising facet. And I think for investors to know it's pretty, I think it's important to ask the questions and figure out who's the operator That's right. That point. No, that's a good point. But other thing to point out, slow down. Like right now, everything's moved to a halt, especially new construction. You've got to have some huge cojones to build. You get, go into the bank, get your construction financing. So right now is a kind of a great time to be going into it right now and absorb the demand in 2025, 2026.
1: Yeah, that's a good point that to mention. So we are not afraid because we believed in the market. We believed in the fundamentals, right? And that's why like when we built Chase Creek, people might not remember this for six months, banks stopped lending until they got used to seeing what COVID was happening. So we had a lender teed up. We weren't at the closing table. Thankfully it was early on the process, but we had a couple lenders who dropped out and said, Hey, we're not offering term sheets anymore when we were trying to close our financing. So we had to go to a hedge fund and we were paying seven and a half percent interest for the entire project. Yes. That's a lot of money that could have been absorbed in the deal, but we are also, we're looking at the optimistic side of that look how much we are look how much value we did generate yes we could have generated more if we would have had a three percent loan versus a seven percent loan but we got the project done we got it done and during a time period where it was very tough and we hit our own challenges and we we're proving out the concept that if you're selective in the market and the location and really understand the market fundamentals it's a great time to develop. And we're still looking at sites. We've got offers on land all the time and trying to make a deal so that we can put it in the pipeline for another day.
0: Yeah, and just to, again, keep things simple, right? Because I think when people try to complicate things, they're doing it for their own advantage. But to keep things simple, when you're just looking at your interest rates, when you're doing value-add operation on multifamily, your interest rates really impact the bottom line on a month-to-month basis, especially if you have floating rate debt. But on these types of projects, it really doesn't matter too much at the end of the day, even if your interest rates goes up like 5% on your construction note. Because if you think about it, if you have 200, 300 units and you're making a profit margin of 100 grand per unit, it's pretty much eight figures right there. That's right. There's a huge, you got money to pay the bank a little bit more interest costs and holding costs. It's no different than if you take that amount Take away two zeros that's basically the numbers of your basic house flipper right yeah you buy a house for 150 put some stuff into it sell it for 250 make 100 and then you pay your private money lender they are 12 15 percent cares what that 12 15, even if it's 20 percent, who cares if you've made that big profit margin that's what it is but in this case add two zeros to, to right. and do it with a lot more institutional partners yeah but I know you got to go, Kyle. Anything else? You Any other things you wanted to point out across? No,
1: I think just the advice would be be careful on the value add deals, be careful on the development deals, be careful anytime, but don't just sit on the sidelines. Now's still a great time to invest if you're investing in the right property and the right asset class.
0: And because kind of the closest call out, if you guys want, you guys can get access to our development e-course. Shoot us email, team at simplepassivecashflow.com. And then join, you have to be part of the database. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club so we can get you access granted to that content. A lot of lessons learned in there. And it's something that it's taken a while for me to move. i little rental properties to going into value-add syndications. And then now into this is I, something I look back on my investoring journey. One thing that's really helped me well is always looking into the horizon what other higher net worth, more sophisticated investors are doing. Just like when I was buying little rental properties, I met and built organic relationships with accredited investors who are all dumping their pain in the butt rental properties. Now, I interact with even higher net worth people, and they are all saying, even if your syndication cash flow is at 5 to 8%, or even heck, 10%, is that money going to change your life? Maybe if your net worth is under one or two million dollars and you need to be investing, right? You need to be investing. <laughs> you can't, you can't afford not to. But if your net worth was higher, three, four, five million plus, that money ain't going to change your life. So in that case, the mindset is who cares about cash flow? Stop looking at things certainly on a month-to-month basis or even on a quarter to quarter basis with these pending little distributions. But look at it like, what is the biggest amount of equity growth I'm going to get? And that is done through the most amount of value add, which is the developments. And the cool thing about developments is the speed of your money. Most value add projects can take three, five years or more. Developments typically are a lot shorter time horizon. Now, one pro tip, you got to look out for the projects where been pre-developed so what that means is like the site has actually been like if you're trying to build apartments it's actually been permitted to residential because that can take forever that's a huge variable and that's what often ties up projects to never really get moving but if you can cherry pick deals that are ready to go shovel ready right just needs to get some plans and specs from architect and construction permits you're pretty much ready to go and especially if you have tie-ins with political folks and people want the project to happen. And why wouldn't you? Because if there's a growing demand for that type of asset, you're gonna have the trade winds behind you and pushing you. But I think this kind of goes in with another bigger qualm I have is like everything that's been happening these last several years, it's really slowed down the general need for workforce housing. The richer getting richer. The poor are getting poorer, and the middle class are becoming poorer, and they're going to need to live in workforce housing where it's good quality quarters. Now, this isn't like class A in the traditional sense where you're thinking luxury apartments, but it is somewhere that I personally would have lived when I was in my 20s. I think it's a lot of our investors, they'll put their kids out of college into an apartment that rents for $1,200, $2,000 $1,200 to $2,000 a month. This is the type of starter homes for professionals or this is people's forever homes who are in the median income range or less. And this is something that this country needs more of. And it, to me it's very frustrating to see all the barriers that kind of put into place to it's not helping out the demand and need and this is quite frankly where the glut of American population is. It's not in luxury high-rise apartments it's in again the class b and low class a renter obviously we've moved away from getting away from the lower end tenants it's just too much hard work and sweat equity i'll tell you a lot about that later But like for people living in rents thousand dollars to two thousand dollars a unit in most parts of the country That's middle of America, and it's frustrating to see banks lock up financing or making it very difficult. Of course, we've got the kind of the pet fund to help ourselves and other people overcome this and push good fundamental projects moving forward, but it's frustrating to see that the government and the banks and the feds unintentionally put up barriers for this pent-up demand to not be serviced. So again, it's always, you always want to invest in things that the fundamentals have a good push towards. And if you still believe that the lower middle class need places to live, developing for that is, or going into investments that cater towards that middle America is also a feel good way of investing and also following the demand too. But anyway, if you guys have any other further comments, questions, submit it over. And if you guys want to get access to the development e-course, you can send email to team at com, And we will see you guys next time. Bye.